Man, it is really hard for me to follow up good baptisms like that. I, I'm up here thinking, man, it's really all downhill from there. But what a, what a way. <laughs> Anybody else want to get baptized? Uh, um, sometimes I, I feel like we just need to do that because something inspiring takes place. And there's probably someone in here that are like, I need to do that. And if you get another you know, hour, you'll talk yourself out of it. Because that's what I do. I talk myself out of stuff all the time. And I don't want you to talk yourself out of something like that. There's nothing better than following Jesus and pleasing Jesus with your life. I mean, the world makes it seem like you're giving up on all these fun things. And they just, we don't want to have fun. We want to be free. You know, fun is so fleeting. It just, it just comes and it goes. You know what I'm saying? But freedom, man, that's deep. That's abiding. That's enduring. And that's what we're here for. I mean, we love to have fun, but we want to get free in this place. Because when you're free, you have fun. But when you're fun doesn't mean you're free. Today is um, Palm Sunday. It's always cool. We have a Saturday night service, and we call it Palm Saturday. It just doesn't have the same ring to it. But uh, it's Palm Sunday. And uh, there's a lot watching online that are down south where palm trees actually are. And we are just so overjoyed for you. So happy for you and the Lord. Because um, we had high winds. I got branches to lay at his feet, but they're in my driveway. Um, but Palm Sunday, it's also called the triumphal entry of Jesus. And I grew up with this, so it just seemed like one of those, the, the moments where the church just celebrated this amazing event that took place where Jesus finally and fully was king and he came into Jerusalem and he took his rightful place and people cheered and went crazy and it was like an opportunity to just go crazy about Jesus being king. But I was reading it this week, and it just did not read the way that I typically have read it. When I read it this week, I imagined a mass of people getting together, and then coming around the corner is Jesus on a donkey. If you were following him at this time, that would have been very underwhelming. That is not the king you were hoping to come through the golden gate in Jerusalem that day. Especially when you have comparatively what these triumphal ritual sort of processions were, particularly in Roman culture. A triumphal procession was when uh, you know, warriors go out to battle and they win. They came, they saw, they conquered. They came back to 
town. They had slaves, they had women, they had children, they had all the spoils of war and they would drag the defeated foe and the defeated general and de defeated army in front of them and they, they brought them in and, and they were dejected and they subjected them to this spectacle and then the king would come in with his battalions and legions and his army and the whole town would come and they would celebrate this as a show of power and strength and dominance. I mean, here's what it would look like in the whole city of Rome would come out and they'd dress with their best, most colorful clothes and the warriors would come in and they would celebrate. And then Julius Caesar would come in this next picture and he would look the most, he would play the part of the king and they would actually cry out, king of kings, lord of lords. And he'd ride in in his regalia and his war horses and his golden chariot. And everybody felt like our city is impregnable and our military is unstoppable. This is what a triumphal procession looked like. And then you open up to chapter 21 of Matthew and it says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. So he borrowed this from someone. In verse seven, it says, so they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The, the king that they were hoping for especially after three years of seeing him kind of do a lot in secret. And then he was kind of coming out with every miracle he did. More and more people were following him. They were amassing sort of a rebellion to possibly through this king, this Messiah come to overthrow the Roman oppression and tyranny. They were looking for a king to exercise dominance, to overthrow their oppressors. So they came and showed up that day and they were hoping who would round the bend would look a little something like this. On a big Frisian war horse dressed in the regalia of both royalty and battle, crown on his head, king of kings, it's time. We got the crowds. We've amassed, amassed a, re, you know, a re, revolt. It's time for us to take over. And the crowds showed up waiting for this moment. And instead of that, they got this. Have you guys ever been to a bad Christian movie? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like you go to these great movies with all these high budgets and all this CGI and these great actors with an amazing screenplay and plot and it's just wonderful. And then you go to a Christian movie and you're like, this is real low budget. This is what this kind of felt like. 
I mean, we got entertainment value of Rome. They all come out, all this money's put into it. All of the city shows up for it. And then this is our version of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And he rounds the corner and people have their palm branches and their cloaks and they're laying them out. But I can tell you right now, this was pretty underwhelming compared to what they were hoping for because that doesn't look like it's gonna take care of Rome. I can tell you that. When I was thinking of Jesus on a donkey, my mind went back to 2008. And uh, I remember I couldn't afford the insurance on my car. Remember the meltdown of 2008 and what that did? And we just started this church not too long before and we weren't in a great financial position and we were taking pay cuts and I couldn't even afford the car I had to pay the insurance. So we parked it off on the side of the road and I got myself a scooter. Anybody remember me riding my scooter around for about two years? I I would ride it in the dead of winter around here, just bundle up like an Eskimo and just ride all the way from Parnell into town. I'd pull into town, take my helmet off and I'd come in and I'd preach and I'd do everything. I'd stick that thing back on and I would go home. And I loved that thing, but I caught a lot of grief for that sucker. I called it my Hardly Davison. And uh, I'd ride around town. This, these pictures were actually taken by my daughter, Cammie. As I was riding down uh, Main Street, they went alongside of me and like, our dad is the, the town fool, right? <laughs> I remember riding that thing around one, one time I was on Parnell and I was heading down to 121 Parnell where we lived and I saw our van was coming the other way with my wife and, and my girls and I decided to stand up on that thing and just kind of gyre. I was gyrating around like this, belly dancing because my wife loves when I do this to her. And I was gyrating and as the van got closer, it wasn't my wife. It was... It was some other woman who was covering her son's eyes, you know, like, I don't know what is going on. I'm Parnell, but that guy is the Looney Tune. And I remember I was so embarrassed. I was close to my house and they were going by. You ever done something like this where you drive by your house? And I'm like, I don't want to see that. I don't want them to see me pull into my driveway and know where that guy lives. So I went all the way down to Virgin's Methodist and pretended I was their pastor. <laughs> Jason on a scooter, pastor on a scooter, Jesus on a donkey. It was interesting. This was a time where some people were coming and some people were leaving our church. And one family that was leaving our church was uh, saying, we're leaving because we don't feel like you take yourself seriously enough. The profession of pastor. It just doesn't feel like your presentation and you're not professional enough. And they brought up the scooter as one of the reasons. And they said, this isn't the whole reason, but that scooter's one reason is, I don't think you take yourself seriously enough. Um, And I remember one of the phrases they said to me is, you just don't feel like a pastor. I, I was thinking of this scene of Jesus riding on a donkey. I call this message, Jesus on a jackass. And he just did not feel like a savior. 
He just didn't. Whatever was prophesied about him, they didn't care about the prophecy. They cared about their expectation of the prophecy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you don't care about what the Bible says about who's showing up and who Jesus is. You've got an expectation of what you want him to be and fulfill in your life. And he is letting you down. Because what you've made up and what you want him to be isn't how he's showing up. It's interesting because if you look back 550 years earlier, a prophet, Zechariah, came. And in Zechariah 9.9, it said this, Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he humble and mounted on a donkey. This was predicted. This was prophesied. And I think the people were like, well, I was just hoping that was a metaphor. And it wasn't. It was legit. This crowd amassed, came together, and really what happens in mass formation, we've noticed this in the last few years, is people kind of check out whatever their beliefs are and what's going on, and they join the crowd like sheep, and it's sheep think, and they get together and they start cheering because that's what they're supposed to do. But you can tell in this scenario, and I think Jesus knew this same crowd that was crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only days later, we're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So it was shallow and superficial at best. Remember Jesus hanging on the cross as he's getting crucified? He said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think as he was riding on this donkey coming into town, side saddled on that dang donkey, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing in their celebration as much as my crucifixion. It's not devotion. It's emotionalism. It's this shallow. They'll turn on a dime. Because it's not deep. In American church, I can see this in who we're drawn to. We're drawn to the American idol. We're drawn to a celebrity leader, celebrity pastors, celebrity bloggers, celebrity influencers, celebrity thought leaders. We just love these people. And we want our Jesus to look like this. I call this jacked Jesus, yeah? I mean, that's a guy you'd want to follow, right? Handsome, seems like he's in command, seems like he's in control. That guy's got leadership material written all over him. If you're into sort of anime or cartoons or board games, this would be the next one, kind of Jesus, where he's on the cross, he snaps that cross like Hulk Hogan, and then just starts going after the gods. We want to believe Jesus is like this, but that's not who he was coming down the home stretch of his life. What we got is maybe the most embarrassing and humiliating picture of Jesus other than him hanging on the cross, which is this next one. This is who we've got. I was imagining in this text, if I was coming into this moment, which would be the apex, the summit of of what Jesus was going to do, I would be inviting my friends to come. Have you ever invited your friends to come to church before and church just sucked that day? I mean, at other churches. 
It's like, what in the world? Like, typically we don't do that. Typically, they're not, typically it sounds better. I don't know what happened. Typically, the pastor doesn't do that. I don't know what's going on, but this is not typical. I wish I didn't invite you today. You imagine if you invited everyone to come to this because Jesus sent out six emails that week. Anybody get my six emails? And he said it was going to be awesome. And you come and your friends buy you. And when you bring your friend to church, man, you evaluate church way differently. And you got clammy palms and you're pitting out and you're like, what's going on? And you're looking at your friend and your friend's like, well, who's the dude on the donkey? And he's like, you, you want to yell out? He's like, who is that? And what did you do with Jesus? Who, who is that? This, and, and you're telling your friend, I'm serious, literally not long ago, he raised a dude from the dead who'd been dead for four days, his best friend Lazarus. And dude, he just, even with religion, he's going in and he's, he's starting to turn tables in temples. Like he's taking the Romans, he's taking religion. This is his time, man. You gotta come today. This is his coming out party. He's gonna take over. You gotta be at church today. And here he is. Dun, 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 dun. Side saddled on a dang donkey, and you're like, I don't know what's going on here. Maybe come to church next week. I'll tell you the dudes that didn't know what was happening is the disciples. And one in particular, his name's Peter. He really had a vision and a version of who he thought Jesus was going to be. And Jesus was continuing to let him down. And if you look at the last month of Peter's life, he wanted to disciple Jesus. He turned into the rabbi and the teacher that said, I know what's going on. I know what's what. And I'm going to tell you what to do. You're not going to save me. I'm going to save you. In Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus predicting his death. In verse 21, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Man, I just sometimes feel like the church and myself, I can't tell whether the things of, uh, what are the things of God and what are the things of me? What's my agenda for Jesus and what's his agenda. I mean, we look at our culture in this malarkey, this hogwash of my truth. But this is Peter and he said, I got my truth. I know you're the way, the truth and the life, but I got my truth and your agenda and your paradigm and your construct of what's gonna happen next. That doesn't fit my truth. My truth is we're gonna overcome not be overcome. 
Can you imagine Jesus says something and you pull him aside like, Jesus, can I talk, can I talk to you for a second? Just come over here. Now I know, I know what we've been doing the last three years and I've let you say your piece and do a bunch of crazy things. I just need to tell you what you just said is so jacked up and I just need to admonish you. I need to rebuke you. I need to chide you for your behavior. We can't be talking like that, Jesus. That's never gonna happen. I'm not gonna let it happen. I don't care if you say predicting what's gonna happen. I'm not letting it happen. And Jesus said, Peter, can you come over here? I need to pull you aside. I need you to know right now that you're Satan. Peter's like, come again? Yeah, you're my adversary. You're my opposition. You're a stumbling block to me. This is what's gonna happen. This is where I'm going. And I'm gonna tell you right now, in your brain, it's all scrambled. You have in your mind your truth, your agenda, the things of man and not the things of God. So get behind me, Satan. It goes on, and they get into the upper room in John chapter 13, and Peter has another encounter with Jesus. Jesus, verse one of chapter 13, brings the disciples together in the upper room, and this is how it goes down. Verse one, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love, or his love to the very end. The evening mail was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father put all things in his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replies, replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. That right there is a phrase parents use all the time. You don't understand what I'm doing now, son, but later you're going to understand. <laughs> Peter, no said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You know, this guy. Anybody have uh, kids that talk back to him in here? Oh, I've got a mom raising two hands back here. So we got here. Jesus, you can say what you're going to do. No, I rebuke you. Here's my idea of what's going to happen. Man, I, we don't get the washing feet thing. I know Christians that still try to do it. I'll just be honest with you. It's just weird. I've been at foot washings before and I take off my shoes and then I take off my socks. 
And, and then I get in a bowl. And I'm, if, if you do this and love doing this, this is great. For, just for me, it's really weird because it actually came from a historical, contextual thing from the Middle East where they wore sandals. They had Middle Eastern red dirt caked all over their feet. And before they went into the house, they would wash their feet so they wouldn't get everything dirty in the house. Okay? This is what a slave did. A bondservant, a a servant, the lowest of low. This was his responsibility. How many of you hate feet? Like just, ugh. So this idea of coming into a house, the servant would get down and wash the feet that were caked with all this red dust. And Peter sees Jesus bend down, showing them the full extent of his love. And he's washing their feet. And he goes around to the disciples. And Peter's like, I don't know why they're letting you do that. But I'm not letting you do that. You are the king. You're the Messiah. You're the Lord. Get up off the ground. Get up off the ground. I'm not letting you do this to me. Where's the servant? Get the slave to do this. You got more important things to do. You're an important guy. You're great. And he says, yeah, the greatest among you will be a servant of all. Remember I said that. But this is not a good look. We're trying to garner respect and credibility so that we can raise up a rebellion, a revolution, gain more people to follow you. A king does not get on the ground and wash people's feet. And you're not washing my feet. Get up off the ground. Do you have no dignity? That washing feet's not a big deal in our culture. I was thinking of what the greatest act of service that we can do for anybody. I helped a friend move on Friday. Helping somebody move is one of the greatest acts of service. And you know this because if you've ever tried to get anybody to help you move, specifically your Facebook friends, they don't care. You don't get any likes. You don't get any, hey, I'll be right over. No, you can post about your cat and your dog and your honor roll student and your yard that you mowed with straight lines and you can get all kinds of action on Facebook, but only real friends help you move. And I was over there helping somebody move and I was thinking if Jesus was there, he's like, I'm moving and he's moving in furniture and Peter's like, you're not moving. You're not grabbing stuff. You're not gonna sweat. This is, this is beneath you. And he's like, how many times? I'm not above anything and nothing's beneath me. I'm a leader servant because I'm a servant leader. And Peter's like, we can call like two guys in a truck <laughs> where their little tagline is college hunks that move your junk, you know? We can get those guys in here, not you. Peter was not only uncomfortable with his level of surrender, he was very uncomfortable with his posture of servanthood. It goes on from the upper room in Matthew 26, shares about Jesus going through a tough time and he wanted to go to the garden of Gethsemane and he took some of his friends with him, Peter, James, and John. 
And in Gethsemane, it says this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And Peter took, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. This is Jesus. And prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will, Lord. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Like almost eyes fixed on Peter. If it couldn't get any worse, all of a sudden you're in the garden and your leader who's gonna be leading this revolution for the zealots, political zealots within the Hebrew community is in the garden bawling his eyes out. I mean, who's gonna follow a crying king? Who's gonna follow a guy who's weeping in the woods? And he's not just weeping anything. He's weeping, I don't want to do this. That's what it means. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. If there's any other way than this, please, please show me the way. But not my will, your will be done. And he is suffering to the point of death. He's, he's got sweat, drops of blood. It does not look like the leader that you'd want to follow. I can tell you that right now. Peter is very uncomfortable with Jesus' vulnerability and humanity in this moment. Vulnerability is a scary thing when you're around it. I mean, really vulnerable. But I'm telling you, leaders in our country, and even back then, they, they did not cry. They didn't showcase this kind of neediness this kind of vulnerability and susceptibility. And Peter's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It went from Jesus on a donkey and it just got worse and worse and worse until you're in a garden and the guy you following, the Messiah is a mess. Jesus is having a meltdown. Recently, I've been disciplining Caleb. Not recently. It's been my whole life. And, uh, but recently, I've been asking him questions. And the more I ask him questions, he's been giving me this statement. Um, I see where this is going. I think Peter in this place was like, I see where this is going. And I don't like where this is going. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like where this is going at all. Seeing vulnerability in a leader can be concerning. I, I remember when I first became um, the lead pastor in 2011, I was 36 years old. And within a week, the, just the weight of knowing what was in the little black book, so to speak, was shown to me. And I was like, man, the immensity and intensity of what was going on. I, I just... I just buckled and I had my first panic attack. I was at night laying in my bed and I just, 
my heart started pounding and I thought it was gonna die. If you haven't had a panic attack, trust me, you feel like you're gonna die. And I just sat there and I was telling Heidi and it wouldn't go away. And I went to the doctor and I just had all kinds of tests. And I remember I just felt so weak. Where was the strong, decisive leader that I was? Where was the guy with confidence and charisma? And I was being meltdown in my own garden of Gethsemane. And I remember there was one week after about a month and a half, I showed up in church and I shared, man, this is what's going on in my life. And I believed in the power of vulnerability as a leader. And I was like, I'm not going to be one of those leaders that hides all the way to the point where you, you realize our pastor's in pine rest. And you're like, I couldn't have told you that last week he was up on stage and he looked great. I didn't want to be one of those liars. I wanted to be a leader, not a liar. And so I shared just what God was doing. I wanted support and I needed intercession and I needed prayer. And I remember the next week, a leader in our church, he was in his late 60s, came to me and took me out to Flat River and sitting across from me. And he said, I'm just going to tell you, Jason, after you shared this week, I'm not sure that was the time or place to share something like that. A lot of people are really concerned. And I was like, I... That's why I shared. I want them to be concerned for me. My life is concerning to me. And he's like, you don't understand though. And then he went in to tell me that I don't think you can cut it. I just wonder if Peter in this time was like, I'm very concerned. We're really concerned out here. A lot of people are concerned. We're losing our following. And I don't know if you can cut it. Not under these conditions. Really uncomfortable with his vulnerability. And then in that same garden, when it couldn't get any worse, it says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived and with him a large crowd armed with uh, swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had already had a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. You ever gotten the kiss of betrayal? Last few years, it's all over the place. And Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus. Another text said when they tried to seize him, they were just blown over by his power and fell to the ground. So this must have been the second time. <laughs> and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. This was Peter. And he drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I can't call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Right here, Peter is probably like, come on, let's fight. Are you gonna take this lion down? This is our chance. Jesus, get out your sword. Wait, you don't have a sword. We got swords. We're ready for this. And he pulls out his sword. Are you going to fight? Jesus, man up. Man up. And Jesus 
they're really uncomfortable with his posture of peace. And he didn't fight. In fact, Peter's swinging his sword and you hear in another story uh, of this same account, Jesus put, picked up the ear and put it on the servant. His name was Malchus. He actually put his ear back on. Like, Peter, stop it. I'm sick of cleaning up your messes, right? <laughs> it's crazy the last few years, the church has just left Jesus, picked up their sword, and is just cutting ears off left and right. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus because they want to save Jesus. They're discipling Jesus. They want to save Jesus. You don't disciple Jesus. He disciples you. Jesus doesn't follow us. We follow him. And in this case, you got Romans that are coming after him. You got the religious leaders. It, to me, it's like you've got the Democrats and you got the Republicans. And Jesus is like, um, you can either be Democrat, Republican, or Christian, but you have to choose one. <laughs> I'm a fighter. I mean, I look effeminate and stuff, but I really am... <laughs> Very fierce. Very fierce. I'm a competitor. In fact, I would say early on, the version of Jesus that I really wanted to follow and perpetuate and lead was Jesus the warrior, not the pansy. And he is a warrior, just not the kind that we're used to following. He's not Jocko, you know, not Joe Rogan. It, it just pick your favorite like warrior mentality. He's just not like that. He's a warrior of a different ilk. But I remember when my parents were in ministry for 26 years at a church, um, this pastor came in, my former pastor left, Pastor Prelly, and a new pastor came in, Pastor Thomason. And I was gone by this time. I was in ministry. My brother was in ministry. My two sisters are married to pastors. They're all in ministry. And we came home and this pastor was running my parents out of this church. The church was only 100, 100 people maybe. And he was threatened by how long they'd been there and the kind of relationships and trust they built with people. And so he just was making life very difficult for them and was pushing them out. And it was coming to the point where he pushed my dad out of the church. And I remember being in our little house and dad telling the story. And my two brothers-in-law and my brother were like, we're gonna fight. <laughs> we're gonna fight. I know we're all pastors, but we're in Oswego and nobody knows us here. So if we can just kind of put like, you know, something over our faces, I wanted to go cram bananas in his tailpipe, fork his lawn, just TP their house, ding dong ditch, whatever I could do to mess up Pastor Thomason's life at the parsonage. I was livid. And I remember my dad, we're hatching plans to just go do something crazy to Pastor Thomason. And we're obviously all in ministry. And I don't know if we would have done it or not, but we were just angry that that guy would do this to our dad. And my dad in the living room said, Jason, guys, 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 
you know what God says in his word? And I'm like, I don't want to hear it. I just don't want to hear it. (laughs) Basically what God said in his word, don't do what you want to do, do what you need to do. I don't want to hear it. And he said, he says this, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Are you a person of anger and vengeance where you just can fight and you can do it in the name of Jesus? Put down your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Jesus went on and he said, do you think I came here to start a rebellion? Twelve disciples, you think you could save me even in this moment? You all got out your sword simultaneously from what's coming. He said, you twelve disciples couldn't save me. I could call twelve legions of angels to save me if I wanted help. And right now, I'm just doing God's will. And his will leads me to the cross. And it was from this point, if you look at the story, that disciples deserted him and they never came back until after the resurrection. Like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. We thought you were this Jesus. You're this Jesus. And we can't follow you anymore. I wonder if we can keep following him. The Jesus on a donkey. But it wasn't just Jesus on a donkey, then it was Jesus on a cross. And they had to think it was over. I mean, they already thought it was over. And then he hung on that cross is the perfect example of what's called the cruciform life. It's the first time in human history recorded by scholars who've gone back where leadership actually was built on humility. They call it humilitas. And he hung there and Paul said of it in Philippians chapter two, verse five, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who being very form God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in human likeness and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of week we're going into, passion week. Passion doesn't mean, yeah, passion means suffering. And when the disciples are so interested in insurrection, Jesus is interested in resurrection because insurrection doesn't save anybody. Only the resurrection brings new life to people. Well, we suffer and go through death for the resurrection. We heard it up here. I had to kill my flesh. I had to kill my flesh. Do you know what? Most of you, you have to die if you have any hope of living. So much inside of you has to die and everything or rile against it, royal against it. But until Jesus comes and you suffer in humility, go the path of surrender and servanthood and vulnerability and peace only on the other side where you're hanging in death, it's crucified. Do you raise to new life in Christ? And instead of having fun, you're free. You're free. So God, as we move into this week, we're taking a second look at you, Jesus.
We've looked at you, some of us our whole lives, but just taking a second look at these stories and the implications of them. We're taking a second glance. We want to know the real you. We're not interested in perpetuating another version of ourselves and superimposing it on you. I think the main reason we don't like you being this way is you've asked us to be like you and we don't want to be like that. We want you to be like us so that becoming like you is becoming a better version of us. But God, we truly do want to submit to you and surrender to how and who you were. As we move into this week, as we read a story in the Bible of what you did for us, the Via Della Rosa, the path to Golgotha and the cross, to die, to be buried and to raised to new life, God, we are so thankful. And we want to let you be who you have always been. So take off our traditions, our religious lenses, our ideas of Easter culturally, and just help us to walk with you and to be like you, Jesus. We want to please you. We want to follow you. And even when you don't show up in a way that takes our breath away because it's so humble, so diminutive. Lord, help us to be people that mimic and mirror who you are in a world that desperately needs to see the real you. As we head into this week, God, we give you all the glory and we join you in your journey to the cross and beyond. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Have a great holy week.